The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. All right. Well, let's go now to God's Word. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Faye. Let's go now to the Lord in prayer and just ask his blessing. Father, we thank you so much that our hope does not reside in flawlessly carrying off two services and um, in fancy preaching or even in buildings. But we thank you that our hope is securely set upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, who lived, who died, who rose, who ascended, who's coming back one day for His bride. Lord Jesus, would You be exalted over the next few minutes? Would You so work, Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ in our hearts to give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would You bring dead men to life? Would You bring cold hearts to the warmth of Your love and Your care for them? Father, would You revive and reform But most importantly, would you get glory for yourself as we have come to hear you. May we hear you now in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus, as we saw last week on Easter, is the reason that Christianity went viral. Christianity would not have gone viral just at the death of Jesus. And we see that clearly Um, over the, the Easter season. We looked at the whole reality that Jesus was publicly humiliated. Uh, that he was beat, that he was, uh, the cross was put on his shoulder and he had to go around the city. He had to go the long way uh, to the place of the skull, to Golgotha to be crucified for one reason. The, the powers that be wanted to make sure that everyone understood that this was the end to this so-called Christ-following movement. That, that this fool, this, this teacher, this self-proclaimed rabbi would be, would be killed and that would put an end to any thoughts of him having any power so that the powers that be could go back to enjoying their power. And so there was absolutely no reason 
for Christianity to go viral. We see it in the disciples. Not one disciple stood up and started preaching saying, Guys, I know he died, but do you remember him telling us about it? He told us he would die. He told us that on the third day he would rise. So, so we better get ready. Not one of them. But they went silent. They went underground. It was over. Until the women visited the tomb and came back running, telling them that they saw Jesus, that he had risen from the dead. And Peter and the other disciple broke out of the room and ran to see it for themselves. And then Jesus appeared not only to Peter, but also to the twelve and to five hundred brothers and sisters. So that when Peter preaches the first sermon in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is given, if you study that sermon, it's, it's very easy to study. He, he clearly evidences the reality that Jesus died and that he was raised from the dead. And 3,000 people believed. Why? Because so many people had seen it. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, there may have been a few people, a few desperate people who just needed something. They needed a crutch. They needed something to believe in. But 3,000 people. You see what happened there? It is these people saw it. These people knew people that saw it. And therefore, when Peter is preaching, he's just simply giving the context for the resurrection. He's saying, you know he rose, and he rose to give us power over death. We see that in Paul, that Paul has this special confidence. In Philippians, uh, he's writing and he's at a point in his life where he knows that people are going to kill him. And so he has this conversation. It's this, this conversation with himself. He says, well, I mean, should I live? Should I die? I mean, it really doesn't matter because Christ is going to be honored and glorified in my body, whether through life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> I mean, I have life because I have Christ, so they can't take that from me. And even if they kill me, I'm going to live even more. Why? Because Jesus died and Jesus rose. He conquered death for mankind. And thus, all of the apostles died a martyr's death. It bred this, this tremendous confidence in them. But what is the application for us? That's what Paul is getting to here in Ephesians 2. If it were just that Jesus died and rose to give us confidence over death, that would be enough. But it's so much more. Because what Ephesians, what Paul is doing in Ephesians 1 through 10, is he is helping us understand that, that we once were dead in our transgressions and sins. In the spiritual reality, the spiritual realm, in the eyes of God, we had no hope of getting God's love and favor. But Jesus. He lived. He died. He rose. And therefore, we're not dead in our transgressions and sins anymore. But what? God, because of His, His rich, He's rich in mercy and because of His great love for us, has made us alive with Christ. Unbelievable. 
And Paul later would say, I want to know the power of His resurrection. It's not just, I want to know, you know, what's going to happen when I die. I mean, we're all curious about that. What exactly it's going to be like and what is it going to be like to go with Christ? No. He said, I want to know the present power of His resurrection because it's not just power over death, but it's power that gives me life now, today. And so what is to be made alive again. What does it mean to be made alive? Before we jump into it, I want to give a couple of warnings because the temptation is to go too far or to go not far enough. Those that go too far uh, say, well, yes, we are made alive with Christ, we are united to Him, and therefore a Christian cannot sin. That's going way too far because Paul shows us that in Romans chapter 7. He said, hey, I'm redeemed, but here's the deal. When I was redeemed, a new man came alive in me, but that old man's still there and they are battling. Every day I get up and the very thing that I want to do, those new desires, you get it. Man, you get up, it's fresh, you want to do right today. But the very thing you want to do, Paul says, you end up not doing, but you end up doing the very thing you said you weren't going to do. That's the Christian life. Why? Because it shows us that we're alive. If we're not alive in Christ, then the old man is not battling the new man. The old man is just living in you because it's you. And so, to be made alive with Christ is to get into the battle, to get into the struggle with sin. So if you're struggling with sin, something's not wrong, something's very right. Alright, but then some people... Um, don't go far enough. They say, well, woe is me. Sin is huge. I can't, con- you know, I can't conquer sin in my life. And what Paul is telling us here clearly is that we can conquer sin in our lives, that there is hope for us because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And because we have been raised from the dead by God. So if God is the source of our new life, there are at least three things we can learn. If God is the source of our new life, then we need to understand that the life He gives us, we can believe. I know that's not what's on the screen, but I changed it. (laughs) Because God is the author of the new life in us, we can believe that the life He brings is really life. I don't know if y'all read the um, um, Memphis Business Journal, but Friday afternoon uh, an announcement was made that Justin Timberlake uh, was going to open a a nightclub on Bill Street and he was going to be very involved in bringing the acts and that even he himself would visit from time to time. Did y'all see that? No, you didn't because it didn't happen. Uh, April Fools. All right, I just got your hopes up. Um, But (laughs) the, the reason that would be incredible news, as opposed to me standing up here and saying, did you read that I'm opening a nightclub on Bill Street, which would be a major failure. Uh, No one would want to go to Richard Reeves' nightclub. But the fact that if Justin Timberlake genuinely, personally opened a nightclub on Bill Street, the reason we would be so excited because it's JT. Come on, you know. I mean, if he were here this morning, everybody would want to kind of get close, maybe take a little selfie with him, put it on Facebook. 
Seven times in verses 4 through 10, God is mentioned as the author of our salvation. Seven times in verses 4 through 10, Paul is declaring to us that he who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the very gift of God. I want you to know that there is no way to believe that God is the author of the life in you as a Christian and not believe that that life is the best life that there can possibly be. But here's the problem. The old man does exist with us and he battles against us and everything in us wants to believe that we can create a life that is much better than the life God would give us. I mean, much of our prayer lives are centered around trying to get God on our agenda. And yet, prayer is not about getting God on our agenda. It's about getting God to get us on His agenda. It's about wrestling with Him to the point that we want His will to be done, not ours. I mean, that was Jesus' heart in prayer on the night of Gethsemane. He is praying that prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Why? Because the life that you bring is the best life possible. Why is that? <clears throat> because the life that Jesus brings to us as Christians, excuse me, is centered on the very need that we all have. The thing that drives us in life is we want more than anything for someone beautiful, powerful, wealthy to know us, someone who knows us completely and perfectly, to look at us and say, I choose you. You're worth me giving my life for. That's salvation. That's what we all want. It's what if we're angry young men because we don't have our father in our lives. And there are not many that do these days, unfortunately. You want to know why you're so angry? You want to know why I'm so angry so much of the time? Because I'm not looking to God and believing that I have a perfect father who loves me better than the earthly father, even if I had a perfect father in this life, a, a, a perfect father that was in my home when I grew up that He is the one who really gives me life. Because Jesus' work is finished. It means we have a love and a purpose and security and peace to the point that we don't have to prove ourselves and we don't have to go out looking for it anymore. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances, because God overcomes circumstances and comes into our lives and He gives us genuine life by giving us Himself. Do you have that life this morning? And then secondly, God is the source of our new life. Therefore, love is the essence of it. God is love. Therefore, love is the essence of this new life. I don't know if you've read Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. I highly recommend it. Um, Brian was, I, I think he went to Harvard Law School, and when he got out, he wanted to get into um, um, representing death row inmates. 
Um, and so he went, I think, to Georgia and then later to Alabama. And he tells about a young man by the name of Ian Manuel who was running with some older guys one day and they um, robbed a lady, handed him the gun and told him, 13-year-old Ian, to shoot. And he did. He shot the lady. And so he goes to prison and he um, is sentenced to solitary confinement. And uh, Stevenson describes solitary confinement for us. Listen to what he said. He said, solitary confinement means living in a concrete box the size of a walk-in closet. You get your meals through a slot. You do not see other inmates, and you never touch or get near another human being. If you act out by saying something insubordinate or refusing to comply with an order given to you by a correctional officer, you're forced to sleep on the concrete floor of your cell without a mattress. If you shout or scream, your time in solitary is extended. If you hurt yourself by refusing to eat or mutilating your body, your time in solitary is extended. If you complain to officers or say anything menacing or inappropriate, your time in solitary is extended. You get three showers a week and are allowed 45 minutes in a small caged area for exercise a few times a week. Otherwise, you're alone, hidden away in your concrete box, week after week, month after month. In solitary, Ian became a self-described cutter. He would take anything sharp on his food tray to cut his wrists and arms just to watch himself bleed. His mental health unraveled, and he attempted suicide several times. Each time he hurt himself or acted out, his time in isolation was extended. Ian spent 18 years in uninterrupted solitary confinement. Martin Luther says the essence of sin is a heart turned in on itself. The essence of sin is a heart that is absorbed with itself. If we, the, the possibility of reality with only myself is the description of hell. Why is that? Because if you look at, 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 at God's creation and you look at when Adam was created, this is before chapter 3, before sin entered the picture, when the world was supposedly perfect. Adam was created, but you remember, he looked around, he named all the animals, but there was no one found for Adam. Now what does he mean by that? We know God gives him a helpmate in Eve, but what does that mean? That he looked around and there was nobody to do the dishes and so he was miserable. No! He looked around and there was no one to fulfill his created purpose to love. Because God doesn't just possess love, God is love, John tells us in 1 John 4. And so we are made in an image of God who is love. And if we can't love somebody, if we can't give ourselves away, it's to that extent that we are absolutely miserable. And that's the definition of hell. Not being able to give God glory and not being able to do any good for anybody. But you're alone with you. You're all you think about. It's a living Hell. Life, therefore, life, therefore, is stated in the greatest commandment. 
Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your everything. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do you understand that when Jesus commanded His greatest commandment to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors ourselves, you know what He was commanding? He was commanding us to live. He was commanding us to choose the only source of life that there is in this world, and that is, I give myself away. We were created to love. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Resurrection power, hear me. Resurrection power is power Not just to love those who love you, but it is power to love those that hate you. Unbelievable. Who can do that? Who can do that? Do you want to know why our prayer lives are so bland? It's probably because we're not praying for that. We're praying important things. We're praying for our relative to to receive healing. We're praying for somebody who's going through some hard times. You know, we're we're praying. But if we took this seriously, if we said today, okay, resurrection life, the whole thrust of the redemptive work of God, everything that God is doing in me by saving me is to make me a loving man, not just loving those who love me. That's hard enough, isn't it? I mean, it's hard enough. I can't even love those who love me. And none of us can if we're honest. (laughs) I mean, that is a feat to love well the people that bear with us and love us. But Jesus said, but if you get a taste of my resurrection power, you'll be able to love those that hate you. When I was growing up, my pastor would tell stories about I don't even know. I mean, maybe the Holocaust when the soldiers would rush in and I don't know. You know, he would talk about martyrdom and it would be something, you know. Do you realize today that we can get online and I mean, it's happening right now all over the world with ISIS and Boko Haram. It's, it's happening all over the world where literally Christians are being asked 
to recant their faith or die. I've read a lot of the stories, and you have too, but one stuck out, and, and maybe it's because I'm married, I have three daughters, I don't know. But one stuck out to me. Um, this uh, group of ISIS members came into a village and killed a number of Christians, but then they wanted to make a, um, uh, an example. And so they took this, um, this woman, a missionary, into the middle of the street and did unspeakable things to her. And while they were doing these unspeakable things, she was quoting Bible verses like, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. I got, I've got nothing for that. I love action movies. Guys, women, you like, I mean, I love the movies where the Navy SEALs come in, they've been training, they've got their, you know, they come in, bust down the door, clear the house, they're the good guys. But they don't have anything on this woman. (laughs) That, That is, that's, I mean, to be... To be taken advantage of, to be murdered in the middle of a city, and to be praying and to be quoting Bible verses to her abusers and her killers. That, that's bow down before kind of stuff. That's step back and go, that's the most dangerous thing, it's the most powerful thing there is. And that is what Jesus gives us in His resurrection. That, He didn't die just to heal Aunt Susie. He died so that you could forgive the person that you hate the most. And not just forgive them, but love them. And I hate that. And you do too. Why? Because I don't want to love this person in my life. They have hurt me. They continue to hurt me. And I want to rejoice when they die, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've given you power over that. I can free you from that hate. I can free you from that bitterness. I can free you from all you've missed. And I can give you power to love the person who is your enemy. I can't even be kind to the drivers in Memphis when I'm driving. My wife reminded me of this this week, and rightly so. I'm that guy that if you're going too slow, buddy, I am on you. And you're going to be looking in your rearview mirror going, what is that nut doing, you know? And it'll be your pastor, you know? (laughs) You're not going fast enough. Get out of my way. This is my road, you know? That's horrible. I can't even drive lovingly. But what Jesus is telling us is that that's something that I need to take to Him because He has power to make Richard a patient, loving driver. (laughs) And so much more. You see, love is the essence of the resurrected life. And then finally, God is the source of our new life, therefore good works are the result. God is the source of our new life, therefore good works are the result. I don't know if you saw President Obama, um, he has commuted the sentences of a number of nonviolent offenders, but... Uh, there was a recent group of about 61, and he invited uh, several of them to the White House. And they came. I mean, they were in jail. He commuted their sentences. They, you know, saw their families or whatever, and then they came to the White House. And he greeted them. They hugged him. They were so thankful. And then he said, you know, I did, I've got an opening in my schedule. Who wants to go to lunch? 
And they were all like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll go to lunch with you. And so they go to lunch, and he says, I want to hear your stories. And they start speaking their stories to him. Now, there is no way that those people did not have some tinge of, man, I want to be a better person. There's got to be something in them that said, man, I, I want to, I feel obligated because of the love and the mercy and the grace poured out on me. I feel obligated. You see, that's how the gospel works. That's why the gospel is not just a story that gets us saved and then we go try to be good and work hard. It's why the gospel is the story that we have to keep relishing. That, that we study the Bible to understand more of it. That it gets deeper and wider and His love becomes clearer to us the further that we go in the Christian life in light of the reality of our sins. So as we keep battling with the flesh and losing some of the battles, we have this constant message that's being said, but God demonstrates His love for us in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And He loves you. He's adopted you. He's paid the price. I saw, I heard, I think it was Brian Loritz said in a recent sermon that adoption holds more legal rights than biological, you know, being a biological child. In fact, in the state of Georgia, and maybe this in every state, I don't know, but in the state of Georgia, you can write your biological children out of the will, but you can't write your adopted children out of the will. You have been adopted. Hallelujah. That's why Paul could say, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God. Why? Because Paul saw himself as the best lover ever. No. Because he knew that the one loved him could do nothing but love him. And that brings power. It brings power to love. It brings power to free us. So what good works have we been created to do? Namely, the good work that reflects the God that saved us. It's not retribution and the law that makes us stand out as loving people. But it's mercy and kindness. And the, the God who was rich in mercy because of His great love, those are the kind of works that we are to be doing. There's no way to understand the depths and the height and the length and the width of God's love and hold a grudge against somebody else. Because that is power to give you life to love. So genuinely, who do you need to forgive? If you're a Christian, you've got to say, Jesus, I need you to be able to forgive and love. But it's so much more than that. It's not just individual application of people in my life, but then when I understand that I am the enemy of God that he's talking about, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ, we are those still sinners. We are the ones that he died for. So we've got to understand, therefore, that our eyes have to be open to our neighbors around us. 
We talk about being the poorest city in the country and yet one of the most churched. This is what is going to change the perception of those that don't believe about the church. It's when we start treating people as God has treated us. When we extend the kind of forgiveness, when we go the distance to the same distance that God went for us, it's when we begin to pattern this cross in our lives out of love and obligation to our King that the world will take note. You see, this cross confronts everything that is wrong with us. We want life to be this motto, your life for mine. I mean, that's how we look at people. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? Can you benefit me? I struggle with this, man. I I struggle with this because, you know, I meet people and one of the very first things I want to do is say, hey, why don't you come to my church? Are my motivations pure? Sometimes, sometimes probably not. Because my sinful nature says people are around me to be used. But the gospel that comes into us by the power of the resurrection says this, my life for yours. I give myself for you because Jesus gave himself for me. Do you see it? Do you see why we can't be greedy? Do you see why the sin of unlovingness or the the sin of hatred and bitterness, the, the sin of isolating ourselves, all these sins go back to the cross because God was willing to say, my life for you, how dare I not say, then my life for you. And that's the Christian life. It's to look around the city. You see, love is the fruit of grace, but mercy is the deed of love. Love is the fruit of grace, but mercy is the deed of love. Love understands God's grace. Oh, look at what He did to me. I love Him so much. But then I start looking at my neighbor differently and say, I must extend mercy and compassion. Are you a merciful, kind, compassionate person? That is the work that God is seeking to do in us all. It's to look at our city and say, no, the disparity of education between the resourced and under-resourced, between the white and the black. That, that, I, that's my issue because Christ's life for me, my life for you. That's why the huge theme of the Bible is justice. It's for those who have power to leverage it for those who don't power. That's justice. Because that's what God did for us. He didn't hold His power and destroy us. He leveraged His power for my good through His death. That's justice. And so I look at education, I look at the disparity, the financial disparity, I look at, I look at uh, the fact of, 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 of single motherhood and, and all the children that are growing up without fathers, and I say, I will be a father, I will step in. Why? Because that's what God has done for me. But dear friends, do you know these tables, the reality that He's full of mercy, He's rich in mercy, He's full of love, and He gave Himself for you. May we come to the table today, may we drink in His love, that by His grace we might go love somebody else, because that's how the world will know that the resurrection is real, a radical community of lovers. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that there is life in You, that we have been made alive in Christ and with Christ. And so, Father, I pray that You, by Your power, would manifest in us the life of the resurrection, a life of death to me and life to others, 
a life where we are pulling in Your love that we might send it out to those around us. Oh, Father, do that for someone in this place. And Father, I do pray if there are people here that have never believed the reality of what Christ has done for them, that You would deal with them by Your Spirit, that You would just simply give them the gift to believe it, that they are loved by You. And all they have to do is accept Your gift of forgiveness and their shame is gone, their guilt is gone. Help someone, help many ones in this place today to believe it. And oh God, would you prepare our hearts to come to the table that we might be empowered to be a loving community. Bless this offering as we tithe to you, as we give our offering. Father, would you use these gifts to be that we might be a blessing to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.